color of leadership. A seat at the table. Join Dr. Anthony Rice and his more than 20 years of education. Let's talk. This is The Color of Leadership. All right, all right. Hey, hey, hey. I'd like to welcome our audience to another amazing episode of The Color of Leadership. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Rice, here with my co-host, Dr. Angelique Butler. How are you doing today, Dr. Angelique Butler? It's a wonderful day. It's a wonderful day, and we're excited about what's going to be in store, so... Uh, without further ado, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it back to you because we got somebody dynamic. Uh, but again, all is well over here. All righty. Before our new audience, uh, this platform has been created so that we have an opportunity to establish critical conversations around the table with extraordinary guests, whom are either superintendents, directors, site administrators, teachers, and in their own right. Uh, the goal of this platform will be to exclusively share their own personal and experience with our audience as they navigate the educational and professional system as a person of color. We have with us tonight a co-founder and CEO of The Block, the brothers liberating our communities. Cornell Ellis is the founder of the executive and the executive director of The Brothers Liberating Our, our Communities. His purpose is to increase the number of black male educators in school. Our guest comes to us from Kansas City. So he's two hours ahead, y'all. So he's two hours ahead. Cornell states that the solution to the representation gap was easy. If it was easy, it wouldn't be ingrained in classrooms across the country and reflected in outcomes for students, especially black boys. So without further ado, we want to introduce our guest, Cornell Ellis. How you doing, brother? Thank you. Yeah. So I'm from Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, home of the two-time Super Bowl <laughs> champs, Kansas City Chiefs, just so very clear. Uh, uh, I've been here my whole life. I went to school here my whole life, um, and I think that's such an important part of my story. Uh, I recently have have been appointed to the Mayor's uh, Commission on Reparations, um, and I'm a part of a local cohort. I've been driving around my city a lot lately thinking, like there can be nobody that knows my city better than I than I do, right? I live on one part of the city. I drive to another part of the city. Kansas City has such a unique educational and, and racial history, right? Um, those are things that I cherish about my story, right? And I started on one side of the railroad tracks. Um, if my, any of your listeners know anything about Kansas City, um, it's really divided based off like one street, right? So one street kind of racially and, and Historically, has segregated, economically blighted um, for people. And I lived one block to the good side, right? Like one, like I was one block on the good side of it, right? So I was one block west of Truce, um, and and that's kind of where I grew up in my part of the city. And I had cousins that lived on the other side of Truce, though, right? And all my friends kind of lived on the other side of Truce, right? And it was my distinct experience and kind of memories of like crossing the street, right? Truce Avenue, which is named after a slave owner, by the way, Truce and experience something totally different, right? That don't know anything about that up. I think it's a really, it's a really interesting case study um, that JC Nichols here in Kansas city was the, he started the, it was the very first outdoor mall in America here in Kansas city. And uh, he's, one that really kind of constructed racially housing covenants and he kind of wrote the wrote the script 
for don't let them black folks live here, right? And that script was um, replicated across the country in, in, in multiple fashions, right? So I'm a I'm a baby of that. I'm a Kansas City kid, right? And I think that's first and foremost. Uh, my my mother and father were both in public service or or education. My mother was an educator. She just retired uh, from the Kansas City Public Schools after 30 years of service. Um, and my sister is in education and my dad ran a nonprofit, right? So when you put those two together, right, you get me. Um, I played college sports, um, high school and college sports. So that was also a big part of my identity for a while. Um, and I think the big shift in my story happens when you realize, and this is a part of uh, Block's work also, right? When black men that have been told that they're great athletes, that uh, make their way through school because of athletics, uh, and then end up not being a professional athlete. Now, right now, my like identity is wrapped up in sports. I don't even know. I don't have an academic identity, right? And so, leaving college, I knew I wanted to coach, right? Which is where a lot of black men land, and. In, uh, ended up being a fire English teacher, right? So I taught English and reading for a little over a decade. Uh, for the last couple of years, I've been teaching history, African-American history. Um, so that's an interesting topic that we can delve into, of course. Um, but over my tenure teaching, um, I realized that there was an issue, right? That there wasn't enough educators of color. All the educators that looked like me were doing something very specific um, and there wasn't much of a uh, opportunity, or there wasn't much of um, a breadth of opportunities for Black men to be able to be diverse, right, in their skill sets and to be able to bring their skill sets to the table. And so um, I started working on Teachers of Color first. I founded a conference here in town called Amplify that works on Teachers of Color work. And then after that, um, I founded Block with uh, some other black male educators. Um, I've, I've been blessed to be able to live, live out that, that founding vision, right? Um, blessed and cursed, right? As any nonprofit leader knows that that's a journey in itself. Um, but I'm, I'm blessed to be able to, like, where I'm at right now, you know those, those Instagram posts that say, you close your eyes and realize that you live in the dream you, you dreamt five years ago, right? Like, that's exactly where I am, right? Like to be able to um, impact education in such a way that's not as direct as I like it to be. You know, this is the first year that I'm not teaching in the classroom, but increasing the representation of black men. I get to visit all my members' schools. I do consulting. You know, I work in different schools in that realm. Um, so I get to see the school, uh, the school systems at different levels from different perspectives. Uh, and I'm grateful for that. So, so it's it's definitely a role that challenges me and stretches me. Um, I would love to to step in someday, but where I'm at right now is, like I said, building a vision. So, Got it. so you're it's crazy. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Doctor Butler. No, it's gonna ask. So you're right now. You're not in the classroom. Yeah, for the first time ever. Um, <clears throat> for the last couple of years, and this is a whole other rabbit hole. Um, I've been teaching part-time, right? I think that high school should be uh, more like adjunct professorialship, right? Where we have experts in the industry that are coming in to teach. Well, I talk three hours a day, right? I will go in and teach two classes 
at the end of the day and not leave, right? I ain't got to go to no PD. I ain't got to go to no um, extra meetings and bus duty and cafeteria duty, that madness. No, I wasn't doing all that. Um, and so, yeah, I've done that for the last three years. So this is the first year that I'm no longer in the classroom officially, right? All the way. That's innovative. Yeah, that's very innovative. Yeah, and and it's profound. At a high school level. Right. Yeah, and and the and the the really trip it the really the, the trip of it is is that it's profound that we all like a lot of black men share the same story, especially especially with that athletic piece, right? Because I mean, we are sharing that. I mean, I can resonate with you because I was a coach, you know, as an athlete, as a college athlete, or somebody who you know that 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 was something that identified that that we identified with, and that's how people viewed us, right? And so get into the educational system, you know, people don't really view us as instructional leaders based off of what they see and how they, how they perceive us. So when you, when you, when you were saying that, I was like, dang, man, that just sounds so familiar. A lot of our students, especially our black boys, they kind of, they deal with the same things that we have dealt with, but at the same time, right now, you know, they have an opportunity for mentorship because I've never had that 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 mentor, somebody who could kind of guide me and give me on really what needs to happen. And I think right now you'll see a lot of um, you'll see a lot of um, mentors, but it's really not sustainable, right? Because I don't see, especially in California. Because I don't see there isn't enough of us, and I don't know what it looks like in Kansas City. I think it's like two percent of African American educators in in, in in California, especially administrators. I think it's one percent, and it's very profound what you're saying. So that's very interesting how you put that. So that's that's crazy. I think the magic of the fellowship is that we're getting these guys at all of their different points in their lives, right? So. When we talk about black male educator retention or lack thereof, shall we say, they're faced with like unique problems that other I- identities in education may not be faced with, right? So I think, well, 70, 80% of teachers are white women. And I would probably say that like 80, 85% of their husbands are like neurologists and low partners in law firms and vice presidents at construction companies, right? And like they can afford to teach, right? As a black male educator, um, oftentimes, like I was saying this the other day too, like my father passed away in high school. All of our grandfathers are gone. I am like the patriarch at this point as a 33-year-old man, right? And I think like the the reality and and whether or not that's like true or not right like can i pay for everybody's dinner no <laughs> like i wish i could I wish, I wish i could take my mom and my sister out to dinner you know and play that role you know what i mean but um like the like the the institution and the cornerstone that is the the male in the family the patriarch in the family can take on a financial lens oftentimes right and when you stack on top of that um, generational poverty or compound poverty. Um, now we're talking about extended families living together, um, cousins, you know, um, sisters that, you know, things come up, you know, the water heater breaks, the car breaks down. Um, and I think we all know like how close we are to being really broke, like to being Right. Like we're the reality about being middle class is that like most of us are what one or two paychecks away from being homeless. 
<clears throat> and like that is um something that when you're making forty thousand dollars a year and you're 25 years old and you just met this girl or you about to have this baby or you about you want to buy this house right like that's a different struggle you don't have 15 grand laying around to go get your master's degree so that's the reason why we really provide that scholarship so guys can go get that master's so that if they want to if they're going to get that pay jump automatically from getting on a pay scale and now they can see themselves in leadership somewhere at a school right so you know once you get that master's degree now you can see oh i want to be an athletic director i want to be a director of curriculum or i want to be director of hr right like you can see the millions of different roles that go into a different and go into a different school day and you can aspire to be one of those change makers right most black men are done teaching in one to three years right that second year be rough and and once i get a phone call from the local northwest mutual i can sell insurance and make double this you know what i mean like i don't blame you so the fellowship so the fellowship is really like helping get guys over that hump we want to help them get to year five get to year six in education so then you can see yourself get that master's degree now you can see yourself at the next level and then our uh we have two more programs those are two of them block building which is the pd um the second program is the fellowship the third program we do dei consulting at schools to make sure the environment's not trash right we got to make sure that we put in educators in schools that have structures and have set systems that are um, not oppressive, that are inclusive, and uh, make sure that all teachers and kids are, are achieving, right? So we go in and do audits and, and PD and uh, survey tools and kind of that kind of stuff with districts. And then we do, we, we get leaders together. So folks like y'all, right? Like Black black superintendents black principals i was just uh moderating at a conference over the weekend uh, superintendents panel was a part of this conference that um was going on there's a lot of moving and shaking going on in kansas city right now with black leaders um at least seven eight new black female superintendents in the area i'll send y'all a list y'all can have a whole kansas city month we could put up put us on put it put it on the map right like uh, several black male principals that are coming up and and doing really great transformational change in schools um so um that's that's blocks programs that's the way that we we think about increasing black male educators in schools it's a process right and notice i didn't even get to recruit right we don't even we haven't even gotten to this idea of inviting the next generation of educators yet why would I invite them back to a profession that's trash? I got to fix teaching first. I got to fix. That's the other thing that board chair said the other day. He said, I am convinced. We're talking about a 75 year old white man here. And I like this guy, right? He's cool, I guess. But he ain't been in the school for real 40 years. You and Jeff City mm -hmm. making legislation. You know what I mean? You didn't, you're down there dealing with lobbyists. The education system is not broken. Yeah, it is. It is. No, I <laughs> and I and, and I can and, and you know, what, Cornell, I, I, I hear it because 
you kind of answered one of the questions that I that we were getting ready to ask because we one of the questions we were asked because it sounds like you have a lot of innovative ideas regarding the recruitment and retention of black men. So why don't you kind of share with us and, and, and once they become teachers, you kind of share with that five year plan. But I'm gonna go back to the, the to the previous question. Question was what can the educational system do to assist keeping young men of color on the right track and possibly choosing education as a profession. So kind of share with us with that one, with that question. So some data that really blew me, I think I was, I was alluding to this, I uh, tried to get to this earlier and then lost my train of thought. Uh, only 2% of educators are, are in America, but the most popular profession for college graduated black men is education. Over 50% of college graduated black men are teachers. And so the question is not, why don't black men want to become educators actually, right? Or or even that question that you're asking, right? Like what can the education, I think it's more the question that you're asking, what can the education system do to not make school suck so that kids want to come back to it, right? <laughs> right? I, uh, Mark Lamont Hill said this, I've heard it a lot, but I, I heard it first from him way back in like 2015, right? This idea of schools can, can be the scene of a crime, right? And, and you wonder why there's no parent engagement. When I remember I was doing some PD at a lo- at my old middle school, I ended up going to my old middle school and to do some PD y'all. And the last time I had been in that middle school, I had, was getting kicked out that month. And I had a panic attack, y'all. I like before the PD started, I had to I was walking around in some old familiar hallways and I had a panic for the first time in my life, I had a panic attack. And that's the that's what happens when schools are are vi- I don't want to say violating, but that's that's what happens when schools are having these negative interactions with students. Um and uh, and that's what causes them to ultimately not want to become educators. You can ask kids if they want to be a teacher. Like, no, I don't want to be no teacher. Like, all they do here is tell me to sit down, be quiet, pick up my pencil, and do some stuff that don't even really makes matter, right? Like, I'm, I'm not dumb. I know this don't really matter, you know? Um, so I, I think that, uh, like I was talking about before, um, when you, when you think about bringing in industry experts to teach kids in high school, um, it solves a lot of problems, right? First, the first and most relevant is this issue of, of real world learning, right? Um, if you can bring in the best engineer from local construction company to teach algebra and pre and, and algebra two and trig, and you can bring in the best pharmaceutical chemists in your area to, to teach biology and chemistry at your local high school. Now you are daily giving kids interactions with folks that have jobs that are directly tied to the things that they're learning in school. Kids can actually look up and see right here's No, here's what I did this morning at work. And I'm here this afternoon teaching with y'all. Right. Um, and I think that's, that could be a really good first step towards revolutionizing the education experience for students so that um, 
they could be interested in teaching. When it comes to, to schools keeping black men in education, um, I think as we were talking about this before, like we black men take it personal. So when you hurt the babies, then you hurt us. So half the reason why a lot of these black men are good enough hustlers where the money really is not the issue, right? I can make it with the money. It's the money on top of these white people hurting our babies. And if we fix some of the structural things with schools, like curriculum, like the time of the, the all day they got to be there, like the real world learning types of stuff that we're thinking about, then school won't just be more appealing for kids. It'll be more appealing for teachers. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Structuring it. That, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, the way we structure schools, right? right. And so we structure it like uh, like a like we're like we're what we're trying to do is you know that nine to five right so trying to structure it so that these people can go to work from nine to five that and that's old that's old school the old school way right and i don't think in terms of the educational system being a little bit more innovative in terms of saying well shoot let's let's start school at from eleven thirty to three thirty. you know what i mean being a little bit more innovative, right, and just seeing and how things will work for students of color, and I and I and I and I appreciate how you are um, kind of explaining that and and bringing that to light because it makes a lot of sense in terms of what what you're what you're what you're saying. Yeah, there's a local school district going to a four day four day week. It's the biggest school district, one of the biggest school districts in Missouri. It's called Independent School District. Um, they're they're going to a four day week, and it's it's blowing the roof off over here. You know, people are people are kind of freaking out. Interesting. Uh, yeah. A four day a four day uh, uh, school week. Day. Yeah, school week is very interesting, very innovative. I'm sure there are reasons for that. They found that you know, like you mentioned, the traditional way, uh, we're not being able to. Um, I guess I, I would be lack of better words. Students um, have other interests outside of um, going into a school that they don't see their self reflected or that it's not engaging for them. But you also talked about, and I, I like the term you use FUBU uh, for us bias, because that, that's, it's real, that's real when you're providing the PD. Uh, my question is, what do you find though? I mean, the ones that are in the profession, what do you find as the real struggle um, other than finances? You just said finances was an issue. Um, you know, I'm teaching and now, you know, I don't have the funds to go get the master's. Is there anything else that you're finding of, uh, from the black males that are, are in the profession of what are their deep struggles? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that it's a it's unique for each guy, right, as it is for each each educator. And I can give you probably a few anecdotes, but to kind of catch trend level right i think the other one that i've kind of alluded to is leadership and and um and management right the way that our our resources or talents and the way that they're allocated right so um pigeonholing is a common term that black male and black educators use a lot around um the roles that they are asked to fulfill in a school um that's some of the first PD that we did. I've been kind of talking about Black FUBU PD, right? The very first one that we did was called the Black Tax. 
Um, like this is, again, this is 2016, right? I think there's some official data out on this now, but uh, this idea that black men wear so many hats throughout the day, that's really difficult to be able to live, <laughs> like breathe, <laughs> right? And so like I, like when I was teaching at a no nonsense charter school here locally, <clears throat> I was the, um, after what, three years, right? So not even like an experienced teacher at this point. I was the most tenured black teacher in the building. After three years? At three years. Wow. I was the only black male teaching a tested subject. Mm. I was the grade level content lead. So seventh grade ELA lead. I was the grade team chair, so responsible Mm -hmm. for culture for the other seventh grade teachers as well. I was the voice at cafeteria duty. I was Mm -hmm. the voice at, I was a voice at community meetings every Friday, which was the entire grade getting together and me leading up a character lesson for the entire grade once a week. Um, I was of course the DEI founder and chair which meant that I was leading diversity PD for the entire staff, creating and leading diversity PD. Uh, When the dean wasn't there, you know who they asked. Right. I knew you were going to, I was like, the discipline, right? I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were about to say that. Yeah. So-and-so's acting up, so I'm going to send them to you. Of course. (laughs) All day. And and then, right, we haven't even gotten to my athletic responsibilities, right? right? So, like, how, how? Right. By, you know, by year five, my eye was twitching and that's like, nah, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm laughing and I'm not laughing, but it's true. I'm not laughing but it's at true. you. You got to laugh to keep him crying. He said by five years, ma, that's it's bad. True. That's bad. For real. That's and that's, and, and like I said, you put that on top mm-hmm. of, they not paying me enough right. to do this. Right. And I think like that and then and then don't get it eat and then note like wait a minute here's here's the worst part <laughs> dr butler i know i'm doing great things for kids right. and then when my boss comes in the room she tells me that i don't have the learning target written on the board or that i didn't submit i get a i get a snarky email from becky about my lesson plan being late like and i got wrote up and like right. that and it's that like it's that moment right. it's that moment that you could go postal and right. then you realize that it's just not worth it. Cause if you go postal, they, they literally going to call the police. You're the <laughs> right. only black man there. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And so just socially and emotionally, it is not a healthy space. Most schools are not healthy spaces. And, and I say that again, this is a reflection of student experiences as well. Right. I was not a school kid and turns out I'm not a teacher's teacher either, a school teacher either. Right. Like, there needs to be changes in the education system as a whole. Oh yeah. So you know what? I'm a let me. I'm a, I'm gonna segue into this question because you you said that um, you know your plan is reshaping education. Cause so talk to us about what you, what your your take is in terms of reshaping education. Well, I think y'all mentioned it earlier, right? We yeah. we are still going to school in the agrarian calendar all right we we go to school this time period so that the kids can bring in the harvest what harvest where right for who it's unbelievable the 
amount that schools have not changed in the last 100 years, right? Or more. Um, I mean, I think we've mentioned a lot of the big ones that that could be really easily reimagined. The amount of time that we spend at the schools, how we're spending our time there. I mean, I think middle school is a complete waste of time. We could we could take we could go we could go K through six and put thirteen year olds in high school, right? Like start them in like a um a earlier like we don't need seventh and eighth grade. Seventh and eighth grade is just Are you serious <laughs> with all those emotional stuff? What I mean, I, I love to but hear your innovative. Think- what about the seventh and eighth graders? They're they're a, they're a unique group. Ab- yeah, explosive, right? Mm-hmm. They're my favorite. I I love middle school. It's okay. my favorite years to teach, and we have and that's the thing, right? That's that asset deficit based thinking. Okay, we have to use that energy in an effective way. Oh, I like it. Okay, yes, they are explosive. Yes, they, they are chemically unstable. <laughs> yes. So how can we use that energy to guide us forward? I think as as folks who have been ingrained in the system for so long, that type of explosiveness, subjectivity, creativity, danger, there's like, it like, it like alarms our amygdalas. We're, we're over 30. Right. But I think as a, a little bit of that, that fire is really necessary for the next steps. I was thinking, of, I was listening to a podcast the other day, the way that we think about our future selves is really interesting. Um, this is the, is the brain podcast, but this idea that um, we don't we don't really see our future selves as being really us, right? And so we we don't really make decisions that are that are best for our future selves because it almost seems like that it's a different person, <laughs> right? And so like we have to um, we ha- we need some of of some of that youth spark and fire. And, and then we, and we actually believe that the rate of change is going to be, is going to be slower. Right. So we, we, we think that like we're at this like pinnacle of change for some reason, right? Like it, it's this phenomenon called the end of history, right. Where you, where you look at history and you realize the rate of change has been very, like, rapid. And it's been, like, rapidly increasing. For some reason, in our present brains, we think that we're, like, done changing. And we're not going to continue to change even faster, right? Like, we have to, and I think that's one of our biggest problems in the Black community, too, right? A lack of generational communication. We don't trust young people. And young people don't have enough influence and voice in our society. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. So if we we like we take those seventh and eighth graders and yeah, they're wild and they're crazy. But how how much wilder and crazy are they? when We give them freaking worksheets and trying to and trying to hold them in a zoo. That's a middle school. Mm -hmm. Right. Like let's. I know Statesman Academy for Boys in D.C., they take their eighth graders to Europe. Black wow. and brown wow. boys, right? And they expose them to the world. These are transformational opportunities that are, we're rethinking the ways that we're, we're all, we, we rethought all of the, all the younger brain science, right? We know that four-year-olds shouldn't be able to sit for four minutes, 
right? right? We know yeah. that that's not true anymore for early development. We have to start rethinking the way that we develop and teach our adolescents as well, or else they're going to burn this thing down. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. So let me, let me so as we segue, I mean, because we can, we can talk for two hours. Right. Yeah. This is fun. We can talk for two hours. Uh, but you know what, Cornell, I mean, what we do and I, and I, we, we, you have gave us so much content and so much information that we gonna we gonna have a part two with you. All right. So we gonna, we gonna have a part two with you. So yeah, right, yeah, 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 yes. yeah. We're gonna have a part two with you. <laughs> and so right now, right. Really what we do at the end of the show is we, we give our audience our, our participants an opportunity to give a shout out uh, to just kind of say you know we want to give a shout out to whoever I mean how you got to where you are and just really give a shout out just really give thanks to where you're at and so at this moment right now we want to give you an opportunity to give a shout out to whom, whomever you want uh, to give a shout out to someone who's been very influential in terms of your career if not I mean just give a shout out to whomever you want so go ahead my brother and give a shout out Hmm. <laughs> right yeah there's so many people right i feel like i've been i've been shouting out i've been like i've dropped quite a few names um and i hope that they're that they hear this you right. know um i mean i'm gonna shout out the kids fam right like that's why we yeah. do this yes um, sir and i think that we in, in my work right that is thinking about the next generation of schools and teachers um, and I told y'all, right, like our theory of change at Block hasn't even gotten to engaging with kids yet, right? And like, I still do like, and I mean that programmatically, like budgetary wise, right? Like I still go talk to, every chance I get to talk to kids, I take it, right? And and it's so interesting. Um, I spoke at a Rotary Club. They was like, where do you find these Black, where do you find the Black boys participating in your program? Um, and I was like, that's, that's funny. Cause you know, you go to a school and you say, um, all right, kids today, you got a guest speaker coming in. His name is Cornell Ellis. And he wants to talk to kids that want to be teachers. Ain't no black boy going to stay for that. You asked me the wrong question. <laughs> you going to be there by yourself. <laughs> I find them after that. Yeah, I'll do that, right? And then when I pop out in the hallway, yo, I go stand by the locker and catch two or three of the homies, you know? Oh, yeah. what y'all doing, man? How you feeling today? How how are you? Right. How how are you? You need a hug? I'd love to give you a hug if you need one. I love yeah. you if you didn't know, right? <laughs> um, and so I, I just want to shout out the kids, man. I, um, right. um, I appreciate them. And, and without them, I wouldn't be here. All right. All right. So as we as we close, I, I just want to tell our audience, we are very blessed to have Cornell Ellis here all the way from Kansas City here with us today on the color of leadership. And again, we're not going to waste no time by saying we're going to go have a part two with Mr. Ellis. Because I can't he, wait. Has a lot, he has a lot of information to provide. Yeah. But again, we're going to close out with the color of leadership. Thank you, Dr. And thank you for uh, taking care of us. And Say peace to our audience and see you next time on The Color of